a favorite declaration among Christians is this declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's perfect. It's just a great declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Even to think about the implications and what that means is awesome. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Christians have said that. They've sung that. It's what we talk about. It's what we love. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It belongs to our God. And it's found in Jonah chapter 2, in that great Christian book in the Old Testament, if you will. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Jonah 2. It's a handful of books before the New Testament, if that helps, roughly thereabouts. I heard someone say this week that the Old Testament is not a Christian book, and I thought that was kind of interesting, um, because Christ is the word for Messiah, and uh, Messiah is an Old Testament word. So uh, I think the Christian book is the Bible, all 66 books, because whether you're talking about the Messiah, Christ, and the Old, or Messiah, Christ, and the New, there's a great unity, so... That's not in my notes, and that usually gets me in trouble. But just just saying, um, it's a great Christian declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What does that mean? Well, for starters, it means the obvious. It means it's His. Salvation is the Lord's. In addition to that, if it's His, and if we're going to receive salvation, it has to come from Him. It's something He has to give. And so Christians end up talking about the sovereignty of God in salvation. God is the king. He's the creator. He's in charge. He does whatever he wants. He's free to do whatever he wants. And that would fit here. The sovereignty of God in salvation because salvation belongs to the Lord. So if you're going to be saved, it must come from him, not from somewhere else. It must come because of his grace belongs to him. Jonah declares this, and Jonah didn't like it. Really, that's what Jonah's about. I mean, if you want to think about what the whole thing is about, it's about the sovereign grace of God, and about Jonah not liking it. Isn't it interesting that Jonah is not the first person or the last person to not like the sovereign grace of God? It's kind of a weird thing. Christians love the declaration. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It seems that Jonah liked the declaration at times. He's the one who's going to say, salvation belongs to the Lord. And really the crux of the issue is, Jonah doesn't like it that salvation belongs to the Lord. And sometimes we don't like it that salvation belongs to the Lord. It's kind of a confusing thing. God tells Jonah, the prophet, to go to Nineveh and to preach coming wrath. Okay? Judgment is coming on you, Nineveh. Nineveh, you guys are so bad that God is going to judge you. Okay? I I made a huge mistake last week, and I referred to Nineveh as ancient Iran. And it's not ancient Iran, it's ancient Iraq. Typical American, right? <laughs> Typical Omaha, and I think Nebraska ends in Lincoln. <laughs> Sorry, my wife's from Grand Island. but I had to ask my college roommate from Bakersfield, California, where Grand Island was. <laughs> Omaha people are pathetic. Anyway, 
So last week, I was all excited about an illustration I came up with off the top of my head. Not a good idea. And I started talking about uh, Nineveh being in Iran. It's in Iraq, as I said the first week, um, ancient Assyria. Well, here's the point. Jonah is a Jew, and he's in Jerusalem, okay, in Israel, and God tells him as a prophet to go to his enemies, okay? They were, they were ancient Assyria. They're, they're, they're a superpower militarily back in the day. And there's conflict, okay? Jonah would have hated the Assyrians. He would have, he, he would have hated the Ninevites, okay? He doesn't want to go there. I'm not looking at my notes. Am I getting all this straight? Did I get it right today? Sheesh. So, so he doesn't want to go because they're bad people because they've been against Israel and, and it's been a problem. It's not currently a problem, but it's been a problem in the world of Israel. And so when God says, go and preach coming wrath, Jonah's conclusion is, I'm not going to do that in a million years because they don't deserve it, because they don't deserve to hear that because that's actually an act of mercy because they just might repent. I'm not reading in between the lines too much in light of chapter 1, because in chapter 4, it's explicit. That's what's going on. What if God saves them? Salvation belongs to the Lord, but He's not really dealing with that in chapter 1 or in chapter 4. What if God does what He wants in saving them? Those bad people who don't deserve salvation. He's forgetting about who he is, right? He's forgetting that even as an Israelite, God didn't deliver the people of Israel. He didn't even adopt the people of Israel because they were good, because they were important, because they were special or better. No. He's forgetting. He likes the grace of God for Israel, but he wants to control it as opposed to having it be belonging to the Lord to extend to whoever He wants to extend it to. It's just a fascinating thing. Fascinating, fascinating, fascinating. What I would like you to look for today when we work through chapter 2 and 3 is look for evidences of divine sovereignty. Okay? We're going to get to that statement, salvation belongs to the Lord, sovereignty and salvation. But I think on purpose, I might be wrong, but I think on purpose, the reason we have so many fingerprints in Jonah, the whole book regarding the sovereignty of God overall in all things, is to support the major point. The major point is God is sovereign in salvation. He does what He wants. But all over the place, we have Him sovereign over everything. From fish to water to answering prayer to circumstances, He, he, he does what He wants to do. He's in charge. He's large and in charge. Right? He's the almighty God. He does whatever he wants. He has the power to do whatever he wants. He doesn't answer to anyone. And we see it all over. And I would argue that that's designed to show the godness of God. But it's also designed to, to complement, to support, to come alongside, to build the argument that if he's sovereign in all these other things, duh, of course he's sovereign in salvation. Because he's God. So that's where we're headed. No outline this morning. We're just going to... I'm encouraging you to look for sovereignty. Okay? Um, 
chapter 2, chapter 3. We're going to actually start with chapter 1, verse 17, because sometimes it's included with chapter 2. It is in in the Hebrew text. So we'll start in 117. Some of you look really cold. You cold? Some cold? If somebody wants to turn it up a little bit, who's qualified for that? I think it requires certain spiritual qualifications, but... (laughs) The office of thermostat. You guys are super nice today. You must be in a good mood. You're laughing at things that aren't even funny. This is awesome. You're like, Super Bowl, man, everything's great. I get to overeat and it's okay. (laughs) Right? I'm gonna. It's gonna be awesome. See, there are biblical categories for such things, by the way. (laughs) Here I go again, I'm gonna get in trouble. Gluttony is a sin, but there's a category for feasting. (laughs) I kid you not, there's biblical precedent. If you feast every day, you're a glutton, and that's not good. Special occasions, feasting. God is so good. We've, he's given us extra. It's bounty. The fatness of God. See, this just sounds like King James Version or something, which we know makes it even more spiritual. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I get myself in trouble. <laughs> we should pray and ask for God's for forgiveness or something. Okay, let's jump in. Jonah chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed, there's a sovereignty word. God is in charge. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Sovereign over the fish, right? And here we have this this image, this prefiguring of something that will come later that's much more extraordinary. Because Jesus uses this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, to refer to himself. So Jonah is delivered through this bad event. God sovereignly delivers him. And what's so interesting is Jesus likens himself to Jonah. And through this bad event, he brings ultimate deliverance. And so this is a prefiguring uh, image, if you will. And Jesus will utilize this very historic event. Verse 1 of chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. I'm going to suggest to you that that's sovereign, because God doesn't have to do that, but he does. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol, the realm of the dead. That's where dead people go. It's mysterious. It's unknown, especially in the Jewish mind. I cried, and you heard my voice. Just a couple of things to mention there. This is exactly what happens in chapter 1, verse 14, with the Gentile pagans, who, who are idol worshipers. They're terrified, and, and, and they cry out to the Lord, and He answers. Now, it's so weird to think that now Jonah's acting like the pagans. Uh, they were delivered, and now he's delivered. Again, according to God's sovereign freedom to deliver howsoever he would choose to deliver. But here, Jonah is delivered. It's not ultimate salvation, but it's temporary salvation. It's designed to picture salvation. We know that. He's been delivered. God did this. God's sovereign grace. I think it's important that we see God's sovereign grace in temporary deliverance is meant to be seen here. God didn't have to do it. As a matter of fact, we've already known that Jonah is a bad guy as a prophet. He's the sinning prophet that doesn't do what God says. 
And yet he calls out to the Lord and God saves him. God didn't have to do that. Jonah didn't deserve to have that happen. But God did it according to his free, meaning God can do what he wants to do, sovereign grace. Isn't it interesting that that's what Jonah has such a problem with? And he's not done having a problem with that. So it's good to see here, he likes it when it's on his terms. He just doesn't like it when it might be given to other people. Verse 3, for you, I'm going to put emphasis there, for you cast me into the deep. I drew a, a line across to chapter 1, verse 15, because God didn't cast him into the deep. The sailors cast him into the deep. But even here, sovereignty of God. God is orchestrating, doing things through, uh-oh, sinful human beings. God is in charge. God is even sovereign over sinful human beings. You cast me into the deep by the hands of the sailors, chapter 1, verse 15, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves, sovereign over the waves, your waves and your billows passed over me. Sovereignty again. This is God's doing. Verse 4, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. There's hope. There's hope. There's hope that he's not going to die. Verse 5. The waters closed over me to take my life. Remember, those are God's waters. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were, were wrapped a, about my head at the roots of the mountains. So he's, he's sinking down is the image. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. It's like imprisoned me. There's no escaping this death. Yet you... There's no way out, bars closed like a jail cell, yet you brought my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. Salvation talk. It's temporal, we know that, but it's still salvation talk. You did this. O oh Lord my God. Yahweh. The faithful God. Promise-making, promise-keeping God. Oh, Lord, my God, you, you, you did that. You delivered me. And again, I'm going to point it out before we go to verse 7. God didn't have to do it. But God did it. God's free to do what He wants to do. And He chose and saw fit to show His mercy to Jonah. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. I remembered Him. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. You did this. You brought my life out. Sovereign grace. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Another way of saying God is sovereign. Because, you know, those who worship things they make are sovereign over those things. And those things have no power, so there's no hope. It's like hope and hope. It's hope and self. But no, oh you, oh Lord God. You're not like them, because I didn't make you. You're the sovereign one. You're in charge. You're over them. I didn't make you. I don't control you. So my hope is a real hope. And you're... Faithful love, your steadfast, immovable love, the love of Yahweh, the loyal, abiding, 
steadfast kind of love that could only come from you. I love that. Verse 9, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, that's devotion out of gratitude, we saw that even from the sailors, what I have vowed, I will pay. You're worthy of devotion is the idea. You're different from all those others. You're the true sovereign of sovereigns. And then we have it in verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah! You did this. It's you to do with what you want to do. And you, you chose to do it. And I'm praising you. You saved me. You delivered me. You didn't have to. You're awesome. And I would say, it's awesome. And this is what we believe about salvation in the ultimate sense as well. It belongs to Him. Christians use this passage all the time and have for years and years and years and years and years to talk about God's eternal salvation because it would be true there also. It belongs to Him. He's free to do with it what He wants to do. He's not obligated. He's not under anybody's thumb. He's not under our authority because we didn't make Him like the gods of the nations, lower G. This is great worship from Jonah. It's His. He gives it. He gives it as, as He sees fit. And I would suggest to you, not reading between the lines, but reading it as the whole, this is messing with Jonah. In a sense, the whole book of Jonah is about this reality messing with Jonah, meddling with his heart and his mind. It messes with our minds. It messes with our hearts. I want salvation for me. And when God gives it, I don't want to give Him the credit. And I've got good theology one minute. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He gave it to me. It's awesome. But then I might not like it so much when I start thinking about the implications of it. The freedom of God to act like God kind of chafes me. And I think these people should be saved. And they're not. I don't think... I don't want to point in the auditorium today. <laughs> I don't think those people should be saved because they don't deserve it. doesn't make sense. Why didn't God answer my prayer to save this person? And there's a lot of questions. And God's a big God. He can take questions. But there's a difference between asking questions and questioning. And so I, I just invite you to enjoy Jonah. <laughs> and maybe it's easier, easier to learn from someone else's you know, glaring bad thinking so that maybe we can identify with it and go, huh, maybe I should take a lesson or two from Jonah. When commentators talk about the book of Jonah, they, they typically suggest that, yes, this is about Jonah, the individual, but he also personifies the nation. We're God's people. We've received grace. And we wanted to go to pe other good people like us. <coughs> wink, wink. And we really don't want it for those other people that we don't like. Because they're bad. It's just easy to start thinking that way. 
Or it's easy just to start thinking, I think God should do this, and I think he shouldn't do this, and I don't like it that he did that, and I sit in judgment. Well, when we do that, we act like the nations who have lowercase g gods that we control. And even Jonah here, with some pretty inconsistent theology, has good enough theology to know, at least when he's been swallowed by a fish, you know, maybe that just does something to the capillaries. <laughs> it's enlightening. <laughs> you have good theology when that happens. To understand salvation is of the Lord. And what you don't want to be is like the people who have lowercase g gods and they call the shots of how that God works and how that God doesn't work. It's the last kind of person you actually want to be. You want to be like the person who knows Yahweh as his God and he's sovereign and he's in charge and he does it as he sees fit. I like learning that from Jonah. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Sovereign control again. A well-known preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, famous Baptist evangelistic preacher from London hundred or so years ago, in jest, said that in the book of Jonah, Jonah represents Calvinism in saying salvation belongs to the Lord. And the fish represents Arminianism. Given that upon hearing Jonah say salvation belongs to the Lord, they threw up. <laughs> Just in jest. Um, if you don't know what any of that means, don't worry about it. Um, let's go through chapter 3. Keep looking for the same thing. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. First time he told him to go and preach repentance or preach judgment. Um, and, and this time saying, verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah, again, having acknowledged, I wrote in my notes, having acknowledged that salvation belongs to the Lord, Right? So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Again, just for re review, Jonah's writing in 8th century based upon other Old Testament texts we have and what we know historically and who was in charge and who the king was and all that kind of thing. 8th century um, and shortly before Jonah's time, in the past, historically, Assyria was a military superpower of the day at least and a arch enemy of Israel. It's a great city. It's been a great city. It's been in a bit of a relapse during this time from what we know historically, but it's been a major, major, major problem for Israel. Great in a bad way. But Jonah now has been reminded salvation belongs to the Lord. So he's going, how about verse 4? Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
Wrath is coming, right? Judgment is coming. You are bad and you're going to get what you deserve. Brace yourself. That's what he's saying, right? But that's an act of mercy, isn't it? That's what Jonah doesn't want. Because what if, by preaching to them about coming judgment, what if it brings about repentance? What if that's God's sovereign plan? And we know, because we've been re- we can read the whole thing, it, it actually is God's sovereign plan. And what if that happens and, and brings about repentance and, 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 and they're delivered? What if they're saved? What if they're saved from the wrath of God? That's the very thing Jonah doesn't want. He doesn't like God's sovereign grace for God to do what he wants to do with his own grace. He doesn't like that. This is, this is what he doesn't want for those bad people. He's starting to think salvation is for good people. Just like we start to think when we don't like God's sovereign grace. Even if we know there is no such thing. By the way, men who are at the men's retreat, Jonah is commissioned to go to Nineveh and preach gospel or law. He's commissioned to go there and preach law. Wrath is coming. You're going to get what you deserve. Judgment from God. Condemnation. Right? That's, that's the law. But that's the first step. Right? The necessary step. If there's going to be gospel. If you don't know you have a problem, there's no solution. There's no repentance. Good job, guys, even though no one answered. (laughs) It's not true. Verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. Awesome. It's awesome because it shows us God has a desire to save bad people. Everybody's bad. Jonah forgotten that. But it does show us something again about what we've talked about before, the, the, the evangelistic heart of God. Okay, verse 5 goes on to say, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. It's crisis time. It's not a time to fast so we can do a good, you know, mid-year cleanse. This is, this is, something terrible is going on. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? 
sovereignty. Even the king is acknowledging the sovereignty of this God. He's not like his gods, lowercase g, that he can control. Who knows? Sovereign grace. Who knows? God is free, right? He's not saying this is going to happen. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. Awesome. Unless you're Jonah, which we'll talk about next week in chapter 4. But it's awesome. And in light of the whole, light of the whole book, we can conclude that this has been what has appeared to be God's sovereign plan all along. It's fascinating. It's fascinating, intriguing, important. Salvation belongs to the Lord and He chose to give it to Nineveh. love thinking about this stuff. Salvation belongs to God. The God who is the creator, the God who is the sovereign, the God who does whatever he wants to do. It's awesome to know that he's merciful and gracious to sinners. And here's an awesome example of, in one sense, through the eyes of the Jews, the worst people on planet earth. Of all people to not save, God shows his splendid, magnificent, awesome power. You go, this is great. This is awesome. It's awesome in the in the the ultimate saving sense too. We learn from this and go, this is how it works in eternal salvation also. Not just temporal national deliverance. You should think about your life, look at your life, look at your life in light of what Jesus says. It's not just if you do the external, you're in trouble. You've done the internal in your heart, and so you are in trouble. Matthew 5. You go, God has saved me? Not obligated to? Kind of like the king? Who knows? And yet he's promised to save those who trust in him. I love it when Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He's not talking about a nap. Rest, right? An eternal kind of rest. It's, it's, It's the invitation that is there. You come to Christ for rest, and he gives rest. It's awesome. And according to God's sovereign grace, we know He gives to it freely as He sees fit. Our job is to call people. People we like, people we don't like. People who are bad and people who are good, wink, wink. We call people to trust in Christ and they'll be delivered. 
according to God's sovereign grace. Makes me want to be eager to take the gospel to people no matter who they are. Makes me thankful. Makes me want to be like Jonah in chapter 2 but not in chapter 4. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's a praise. It's His. He does it. It's all of Him. It's extraordinary. We're going to celebrate communion this morning as soon as we pray. Remember, salvation belongs to the Lord. And here we have symbols symbolizing it belongs to Him. He accomplished redemption on the cross by giving His body, giving Himself up, and by shedding His blood. It's His work. And He's graciously given it to us, freely according to His sovereign grace, and we would want to be praising Him. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Isn't He good? The answer is yes. So pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the fact that not only does salvation belong to you in a, a temporal sense for this nation, but in an eternal sense, that it's yours. And we are thankful that you have given it so amazingly. And we are thankful that you're not um, unmerciful, but you're merciful. For none of us are good people. And so we're thankful that you don't count our trespasses against us. And according to your perfect purposes and your perfect will, you bring salvation. You grant saving faith. You grant repentance. You cause the new birth. And we're here today to praise you and to give you thanks for what you've done. Overwhelm us, God, with what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.